Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. Before we begin, I'd like to just remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around issues. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth, authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. I am delighted today to be joined by Carol Lynch, who is currently Strategic Director for Leadership and School Improvement at Washwood Heath Multi-Academy Trust. Uh, Cattle has experience in a range of settings, including establishing his own independent school for pupils with social and emotional mental health needs and co-founding a mat. He is, more importantly, the author of Building Belonging, a systematic approach to school improvement and emotional well-being, and that's what we're going to be discussing today. Welcome, Cattle. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, well, very de- delighted to have you here. Um, the book is um, a, a very comprehensive. Um, I'm a governor. It was really useful from a governor's point of view, um, but also obviously school leaders and those um, those actually working with ch- children. Lots of uh, examples about your your work with children with with complex needs, but also templates and, and ideas um, that can be used across schools and groups of schools. Um, so there's a really, really um, rich uh, c- compilation of, of, of things. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about yourself in your own words and your, your journey? Yeah, so, um, so I started working in, um, in schools in private areas in Birmingham um, and, you know, worked in uh, four different settings there. Um, always challenging circumstances. Um, had good relationships with with children. Um, I was I was fairly good at it, but if you were to ask me, I wouldn't necessarily have known why why I was good or, or what you know how, how that came about. And one day I was I got a phone call from somebody who uh, who said uh, you don't know me, but which is always <laughs> an ominous start to uh, to any any conversation. Um, and he was the proprietor of a school, and I, I didn't actually know such things could exist that people could own schools, but uh, but they can and they and they do. Um, usually independent. Uh, we know about independent schools, but there's there's lots of independent special schools um, for um, children who are um, who have reached the end of the line in every other in in every other sense, and and th- for whom the next stage will probably you know very often would be residential um, care. And um, he described, that, um, explained that he'd, he'd, he'd heard about me and he thought that I'd be a good match for doing some work with them. Um, he was opening, he had a secondary school and was opening a primary school. And he wanted me to be the head teacher, um, which, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. He described it as being a, a, a school for autistic pupils. Uh, as it transpired, it, it wasn't. It was a school for, um, for children in old, um, in old terms for SEBD, so social, emotional, behavioural um, difficulties. Um, um, but fortunately we were able to um, because it was new we were able to grow slowly which sort of helped helped us all find our feet but I was obviously aware that, that I didn't have a great understanding about this and I sort of had the humility to 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 know that I needed to I needed to learn to learn more but it was you know at the time it, it wasn't the easiest thing you know um, research um, usually existed in quite dense academic uh, papers where you could find it 
Um, nonetheless, we uh, we opened up and uh, we grew slowly. Um, we we um, took lots of the principles that have been successfully used in our um, in our. Uh, secondary school. And I was really interested to see that actually a lot of their ph philosophy had been um, based on a book that, uh, that escapes me now but it was written by uh, somebody it was uh, the title I remember Maladjusted Children was in the title wow. it, was a, it was a real old old book but a lot of what they uh, you know so there was a there was a there was a research base underpinning the the, the, mm. the, the philosophy that secondary school has used um, and essentially a large part of it was was predicated on structure and routine um, and creating consistency for uncertainty for for children whose lives had been up until that point dominated by uncertainty and very often characterised by chaos and, and, and disorder. Um, so um, we, we carried on a pace. Um, our first, we had a material changes inspection because we were registered as one school and we were going from key stage three and four down to key stage two, although we were, we were about an hour away from the, the, the secondary school. And at the material changes inspection, the inspector, it was, it was a real, real boost for, for somebody in their first headship. Um, the, the inspector said that, the, I said, you know, what, what do we need to improve? And he said, well, I can't actually think of anything that you can improve. And at the time, he, the only thing he said, well, the only thing I would maybe suggest is, is, is uh, perhaps doing a bit less maths and English and, and extending this fabulous mm. uh, broad curriculum that you've got. So I was thinking, no, find a man for the job. I, I didn't think I'd hear sort of inspectors sort of make those sorts of yeah. recommendations. So I was delighted. And that gave us... That that gave us the sort of uh, the courage to um, um, to go on and really push boundaries and, and really explore. And I remember an important paper that we looked at at the time was um, I can't remember the number twelve outstanding special schools. I think it was uh, it was an Ofsted publication, um, and we we started looking at characteristics and how we might be able to use that. Mm. Um, and um, subsequently, uh, you know, lots of trial and uh, <laughs> I'm making this sound very easy, but it was anything but easy. It was very hard work. But through time, in our first full inspection, we got an outstanding without uh, in all all areas uh, judgment, uh, which was great. Um, but also, um, it also can be quite a burden as well, can become mm. quite a millstone. Um, I, I, through one way or another, I, I um, ended up taking over, we, we added another school, um, such was the demand from the local authority um, and a range of other local authorities um, around us. So we ended up taking pupils from about 13 or 14 different local authorities. Um, and I got asked to extend the model that I'd created into the two secondary schools. So I, I became the director of education for the group, um, which was great. Um, but I also realised that given given the, the, the distance from them and the scale of the task involved, that I, I you know I knew that I needed help. I needed some mm. support. So I approached the local authority about um, entering into a service level agreement for their EPs. They'd never done one. Mm. Uh, we entered into the very first ever um, service level agreement for, with the EP service. Um, we interviewed. Um, we had five applicants from the EP service, and, and we, we went through a rigorous interview process. And I was really pleased. The head of service afterwards, when when I said who I thought would be most suitable um, she said well that's who she was going to recommend in the first place but yeah. she wanted to go through the process which was great but one of the things I stipulated was that they uh, I wanted people who were um, interested in generating research and, and generating mm. original original um, um, material to do that with and as part of the uh, so they set about um, training us in, in, in different things but they they created what, what they called a, a multi-perspective dimensions framework which was when they um, they asked 
uh, questions of the parents, uh, the pupils and, and the staff. They also completed rich picture exercises with the pupils and the staff, which is essentially where people draw what they want and what they were trying to identify there was the things they liked most about the schools, the, 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 the three schools and the things that they didn't like and then the EPs analysed it and drew out different themes. And what we ended up with was a, a report that, that highlighted the strengths and areas for development mm -hmm. um, across certain key areas um, um, for, for the group of schools. So in many ways, it was, it was sort of um, way before the days of multi-academy trusts. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it, was, it was taking that systemic approach. Um, and, and, um, and it was great because we had the EPs um, to, to help support training. We, 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 we needed training in, the staff said they needed training in, you know, uh, attachment disorder and, uh, um, you know, lo lots of other um, neurological differences. So we, we prioritised um, professional development and, and staff CPD. Uh, we also... Um, uh, we also set working parties that, that members of all three schools attended and they worked to improve these 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 areas but we also crucially uh, made time for staff supervision and, and um, I didn't really know what they were talking about when they talked about staff supervision but essentially we made boundary time for staff to come around and and, and they would bring um, um, a you know a case mm. uh, um you know a, a current case uh, of a of an individual uh, or an invariably an individual pupil who was really really struggling and they um we we worked with using the principles of, of being solution focused yeah. um and drawing on those multidisciplinary um um expertise um to develop the capacity and uh, of the organisation mm. for self-reflection and to unpick problems themselves. So we, we got um, different groups of workers together, um, usually the, the often the pastoral teams, because pastoral teams were the ones who formed those strong relationships with the individual pupils, yeah. but therefore were, the, were, were responsible for, for taking a lot of the emotional um, you know that, that emotional transference mm. that came from the pupils um, they were responsible for, 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 for doing a lot of that so we knew that we needed to protect the, the staff but we also needed to help them to work things out for themselves um, so that was really really uh, really good um, through time we, you know we, we, we had another inspection I, I re-registered the schools independently so they would be more directly accountable for, for their own their own sort of standards and the, the heads could really concentrate on their own schools it also removed the possibility of one of the schools misfiring and actually impacting mm. on, on the whole group of schools um, which is an interesting theory uh, an interesting idea when we're looking at multi-academy trusts um, and um, we um, we ended up uh, through we ended up getting a, a, you know a more um, um, good judgments from Ofsted which was very pleasing um, and then I was subsequently asked to take over two more schools and to become the national director which added a school in Liverpool and one in London to my portfolio and to try and roll out this uh, this way of working I should say before that we added um, we started seeing more increasingly complex needs and particularly amongst younger children when we saw that um, coming in we realised again we needed help we were seeing behaviours that escalated from 0 to 100 in a blink of an eye and no matter how, we, how much we analysed them we couldn't find or discern any patterns mm. um, in times or, 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 or anything else um, and we added speech and language therapy and occupational therapy to to our list of, of therapeutic provision um, and speech and language therapy there's a huge there's a huge link between um, speech and language and and um, mental health issues um, uh, 
strong link between um, attachment disorder and um, speech and language issues which when, when you think about it, and I always cite the work of Melanie Cross and, and Louise Bomber in particular, um, Melanie Cross talks about the impact on, of, um, on speech and language communication of mm. um, attachment disorder. And when you think about it, it's very obvious, and I, I could kick myself for not coming to the conclusion sooner, but children whose parents are absent for whatever reason, be it through uh, violence or, or, or alcoholism or, or, or dr uh, drugs or mental health issues and what have you, they they spend less time or or even actually mm. if they have if they if they are um um uh, what's what would the right word be if they're inconsistent in their approaches yeah. so if the child cries sometimes they come sometimes they don't what happens then is that child's um uh, uh, over time children narrow their their range of emotional responses mm. if in because because they start to learn about about themselves and and, and where they fit in in, in the world and um, if that doesn't happen sometimes when they cry somebody comes but but other times that they don't they don't actually learn that regulation mm. that, that and, and and that has a, a huge impact developmentally and and it's an it's an interesting it's an interesting thought when when you start you know experiencing this and seeing this and you know, exists in all mainstream schools um, as well so um we we became very interested not only in the speech and language but particularly with these children that, that whose behaviors we saw accelerating and we started learning about um about sensory processing needs and we we, we knew about you know the, the idea of smell and 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 uh, you know noise and, and other mm. things what we didn't know was uh, about what's called these hidden senses um, and there's arguments you know there are arguments about um how many senses we actually have but most people think we've got five and there's clearly the, the suggestions that we've got many more but at least Mm. Um, at least um, include a sense of uh, proprioceptive sense and a vestibular sense. And the work the OTs did around this was nothing, <laughs> nothing short of voodoo, really. <laughs> um, and I surely that I won't do it um, justice in my description. So apologies to any OTs listening. But um, you know, a proprioception is that sense of a proprioceptive sense that helps us calm down. Proprioceptive receptors uh, exist in all of the main joints in our bodies: our wrists, our elbows, our shoulders, um, and. Um, and, and because they help uh, children calm, if you are, have a deficit in that area, sometimes it's very hard for children to self-regulate and, and to calm down. And a really good example of this is, is if, if you see a, a television camera at a football match, for example, and the players are waiting to come out, very often they're jumping up and down. Mm. Um, or, or, you know, for snooker players or footballers, they might be chewing gum, okay? Lots of proprioceptive receptors in your jaw. That's one of the reasons it actually helps you calm. And actually, when mm. I was doing some work with the EPs, they pointed out that when I was presenting, I walked a lot. And they, 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 they said, well, that's because proprioception you're helping yourself to calm when you walk and you think oh, oh wow. yeah that's exactly what I'm doing <laughs> so, yeah. you know, because it doesn't bother me doing it but I'm I always move yeah and so subconsciously you know it, it's getting that feedback so if you're not getting that feedback by your you know just the normal routines which most children do because mm. you've got some sort of um, sensory pro processing difficult uh, difference or difficulty then actually um, the only way that it can manifest itself is, is through extreme behavior mm. um, and what we what we learned about was the fact that we needed to prepare um, we needed to um, uh, we need to put proactively work yeah. with these children to put exercise programs in place that would give them that sort of um, that those you create opportunities mm. for them to do that which would then allow them to function in school and that was a big turnaround because those children had never received that support and crucially it was coming from a, from a medical discipline mm. not, not an educational discipline and so a lot of what's 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 
form the basis of building belonging is is trying to share some of my experience and I'm not saying that I'm I'm any any better than anybody else or any more insightful than others I just uh, you know I've had some opportunities to work with some people in in in, in disciplines that most educationalists don't and because mm. I knew so little about it I made damn sure that the very first thing I did was learn as much as I possibly could in order to keep ahead of the game because there's there's nothing that will tell you when things are going wrong quite as quickly as behavior in an SEMA school yeah. if you get it wrong and you will get it wrong there's yeah. no question of showing that because what happens uh, what works one day for one, one pupil the same exactly the same set of circumstances won't necessarily work for them the next day if we start to understand things like this um, and um, uh, the vestibular sense vestibular sense is related to core strength so mm. um, it's your muscles in your stomach and your back um, um, so in mainstream schools the children who, who need to lean on things are, are they're told to sit up straight at their desk um, if they're sitting on a mat for example in a primary classroom they may lean mm. or even in a line they'll lean on other children but they're always told you know stand up straight don't do that yeah. you know so straight away often we're, we're, we're stigmatizing these uh, these young um, children um, for actually something that is that's a need it's a, mm. it, it's a medical need but schools don't know about it mm. so so one of the things in our in in, in my current role uh, and in keeping with the book and not all schools can do this but we we've um, we've added occupational therapy um, EPs and, and, and OTs into our mainstream mats we've got three secondaries and four primary schools one of them's got a large resource base um, mm. and the first school that we that we screened um, for um, the reception children bear in mind all our schools in the most deprived postcode um, postcodes in in England um, and there's a link between um, between that deprivation and speech and language. Um, 88% of them um, had an unmet um, speech and language or communication need, which right. was absolutely mind blowing. Yeah. Not so much to the therapists because they they um, the communication trusts say that suggest that up to 50% of children mm. in deprived areas will have speech and language or communication needs. Um, the the therapist said that in their experience it was mm. it was likely to be higher than seventy percent. They didn't quite envisage it would be eighty eight percent. And of those yeah. children, fourteen percent needed one to one specialist um, intervention from the therapist. So everybody else, in keeping with building the capacity, we've um, um, we've we've trained up um, 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 staff to deliver these interventions because again, at case level, you can't do that. And very often in schools, in, in my experience, what happens is that you know speech speech and language therapists come in. And they'll deliver speech and language, usually in a converted cupboard because there isn't space to do it anywhere. Mm. Um, they, they deliver speech and language and the child comes back having mysteriously been speech and languageified and mm. cured of speech and language. The teachers don't know what's happened. The mm. teachers don't have developed. Therefore, we're not building the capacity in the organisation to it. As soon as the speech and language therapist isn't there, everything else grinds to a halt. So actually what we need to do is have staff working under the supervision of the therapist. So the mm. therapist, they spend half a day a week in each school, which isn't a massive amount of time. Time. So what they need to do is 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 look oversee the quality assurance of, of, of the staff, and of course unmet speech and language um, um, needs can develop into mental health issues mm. in later life, as will unmet uh, uh, um, um, sensory processing needs. So these sorts of things are really really important um, for um, for getting under the skin of, of of mainstream and and and, and all settings really, you know. Um, as time went on, then um, and, and I was running, uh, I was running five schools. Um, it was, it was, it was exhausting work. Um, I was on the road all the time. Um, I, uh, you know, um, realised that it was taking. I didn't realise actually. Um, I, I, 
left the organisation. I, I wasn't overly happy about the. Um, sometimes it became more about getting bums on seats rather than getting the provision right, um, which which you know I, I, I taking an ethical stance on what mm. we were doing. I, I you know I, I I couldn't condone that sort of thing. So I went off to uh, to to help found um, um, a multi academy trust. Um, which, which is a whole different story uh, for anybody who's done it. Um, but around that time, I went to the launch of um, a. Um, I went to the National Children's Bureau to see the launch of a document called the What Works Framework, which was a um, meta-analysis of international research by Professor Catherine Weir um, into what works in um, protecting emotional well-being for staff and pupils mm. while optimising learning outcomes. And um, the conclusions that they uh, that Professor Weir drew were were um, were, were quite quite interesting to me. The first one was that children with um, with uh, you know um, who, who felt a sense of belonging and uh, were happily engaged with school um, uh, would have higher attendance. They'd uh, they'd have ac- higher academic outcomes, etc. etc. Which was hardly um, was hardly the findings of the century. Let's be fair. Um, the next finding was that um, there was a strong correlation between um, um, the effectiveness of PHSE in a school and um, and Ofsted outcomes which I thought was, was beginning to get a little bit mm. more interesting. And then uh, finally, the, the, the third finding was that, um, that actually social, emotional and mental health, uh, sorry, emotional, um, uh, strong emotional intelligence was a better indicator of academic outcomes than mm. IQ. And that really led to a eureka moment for me. It shed a light on a lot of the children that I had had in the SMH world who were really bright but couldn't learn or had very spiky profiles or, you know, um, they give up with, when faced yeah. with the least little bit of challenge because their inner story, their inner narrative was, I can't do this, I'm, I'm no good, I'm a failure. Um, so their self-esteem was on the floor. Um, their, um, you know, and, and, and therefore their, their, when, when there was challenge, their stress mm. levels rose uh, and again manifested itself in, in, in very often in, in extreme out, outbreaks of, 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 of anger and, and, and violence. Um, so that was really interesting to me um, to, to see how that worked. And I was, I was really, really pleased because as, as they were presenting it, they broke it down into six areas and, uh, and, and each one of them uh, I'd done, mm. you know. And I was really pleased because I talk in, in the book I talk about um, that idea of moving from... from, um, from um, you know, good feeling um, to to you know, uh, unconscious mm. to conscious competence, yeah. and that was really really important because because essentially it, it, it proved that the evidence that uh, you know what what we were doing wasn't too far wrong. Not all of it was right, but but a large portion mm. of it was. You know, but actually now it became more empowering because we understood why it was right, and um, and. And I got became fascinated when we when we opened the trust with how I could how I could do this stuff because I'd been all over the place, mm. always doing school improvement, and invariably, where things weren't going well, and, and you know you get parachuted in when it's not going well, rather than being proactive about how you build the how you build the capacity to be continually good, yeah. ra- rather than just being a wish and a, you know sort of a, a, on a wish and a prayer, how we could put a system in place mm. that would produce a framework to help people to guide them if you will to act as a north star and yeah. I always use the analogy um, you know when, when the seas are turbulent as they often are in schools there's a danger that your ship will get you know washed onto the shores and get fatally floored on the rocks and what have you but if you have a north star that will always allow you to, to navigate in the right direction what what that means is is that, that you've got clarity 
that, that when leadership changes, the whole direction of the school mm. doesn't change. So by, by creating a, um, a systemic framework that can be used in multiple settings, um, um, then what we're doing is, is essentially helping, um, helping senior leaders and, and, and leaders at all levels to understand what the things are important to us. Yeah. And because it's all based on evidence, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to work for anyone. However, it is predicated on being, um, being open to yeah. asking questions and that doesn't happen everywhere you know so again in using our framework approach what we do is ask very um, specific set of questions framed in those six areas mm -hmm. of the research and um, supplemented by other research of course um, um, and it's really pleasing to see that research is so easily digestible these days through <laughs> organizations such as the key may I say um, <laughs> but also the chartered college you know yeah. everybody should belong Fantastic. to it I've got an issue mm -hmm. with it teachers having to pay for it but actually if you're not paying for it and it's tax deductible I should add you know get on it because you're getting really really high quality distillation of research mm. that's going to save you time and you know loads and loads and loads of time and I get it teachers are busy and teachers are sort of you know very often say well I haven't got time to be reading research no there is some truth in that but until people make the time and I talk about going slower in order to go faster until they create the circumstances and the space for deep thinking deep thinking is never going to happen and therefore you're always going to be working at a superficial level mm. and schools are always destined to be working reactively rather than proactively so the framework is predicated on on a having reflection and yeah. um, being able to be clear about the direction we're, we're traveling in and what we you know some of the areas that we suggest that you know <laughs> that we need to do is you know you've got to have you've got to have clarity around the vision and your values and, and what it is mm. you're trying to do does everybody know them or are they just written up somewhere and and are they lived can you see the values uh, uh, you know in in action and part of that value in, in, in an organization and part of that culture is actually can everybody raise are, are there psychologically safe spaces for people to to raise concerns mm. where 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 things aren't going, you know, or, or you know, and, and or will people worry about yeah. being stigmatised and, 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 and identified as a, as a troublemaker? So therefore, we emphasise the solution-focused nature mm. of it. You know, we don't want to encourage wholesale naysaying and what have you. But what we do want to do is is seek the views of all of our stakeholders, our our community, our, so our parents in our community. Yeah. It's a really powerful thing to reach out to parents and say, actually, your views matter to us. Mm. And one of the things that our, that our APs are doing. Um, 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 at present we had a session uh, yesterday in fact yesterday morning not only are we asking survey we, are we doing surveys with all of our pupils and all of our parents and all of our staff but actually we're involving them in co-creating the questions right. so we're reaching out to the pupils so we had uh, we had some of our secondary pupils um, and, and again this was important I think because a member of staff came from one of our schools and and the the EPs were, were adamant that they didn't need me to be there and I was mm. quite happy not to be but I wanted to go in and sort of thank the children and just make sure that they mm. knew why they were there. Yeah. <laughs> Typically, I went in and there was there was one boy and I, and I said, is that really clear why they were here? And, and most of them said, oh yes, we, we know what we're doing. And one kid went, nah, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. I said, brilliant. I said, well, thanks yeah. very much for coming. But what we want to do is we want to, to, you know, we are asking questions of everybody. So I said, you've got a really big, important job here. Mm. We're going to check the questions that we're proposing to ask. But also we want to know if there's anything you think we should be asking mm. you or what you think we should we should ask um, and because of that um, and because this is your opportunity to say exactly what you feel mm. I'm not going to stay here and 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 neither is your teacher mm. and the sort of teacher looked at me and I was I was yeah. motioning furiously we, we're yeah. going to go because actually if we're creating a culture we've got to allow people to say yeah. what say what they feel and it was interesting because um 
because that sort of thing can be threatening mm. and I understand why people would be threatened but we've got to you know we've got to create the circumstances where yeah. we're open and receptive to asking questions because that's when we get real real good improvement and we've got to be um, mindful of creating space that we set aside to do the deep thinking because mm. deep thinking doesn't happen it doesn't happen unless you make the conditions for it to happen um you know um and actually what we use the framework for um i've started doing this i've only done one session in one of the schools but actually what we do is go through they they advance read one of the, one of the chapters which contains all the service mm. and then we come together and really pull apart what that looks like in their school what it might but and i yeah. will suggest resources or i might suggest what what they want to do or they will tell me what they could do with some training and I'm, yeah. I, i'll happily come and support with it but even when you're doing that schools some schools are saying well we, you know we haven't got we haven't got you know mm. everything's booked in we haven't got time we haven't got which is fine I get it you know we, we've got to do it in, in an ordered way and it's, and it's got to work work for schools but actually crucially until they do make time for it you're always on the back foot you're always working yeah. um, proactively obviously um, reactively should I say um, obviously Ofsted dictates that we've got a number of schools that are waiting for Ofsted they don't want to do reflection before Ofsted come in I don't blame them I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing mm. that so it really is a, a it, it's a longer term it's a longer term burning slow burn yeah, yeah. if you will that's got to take place um uh, over over time and 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 so as you say in, in terms of how how it actually works in practice the framework is surveys around each of, of the yeah. areas so 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 the um and one of the reasons I, one of the reasons i wrote the book was again i'm interested in systemic stuff and, and working at scale mm. and how do you scale things up um um but the important thing is, A, it forces you to distill your thinking, and you've, you've got to be disciplined around that, you know, and I'm not always the greatest at that, I, 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 and I have to force myself to think, and I have to force myself to create the conditions for myself to think. Mm. I like thinking collaboratively, but very often that doesn't happen, so what I usually do, I, when I was working with, uh, with, the, with the EPs, what we used to do, we, were, we always, when we had meetings, we went out and walked, which sounds mm. a bit mad, but we'd, we'd go somewhere that was, uh, that was you, a rural set. Our schools were in rural locations. We, we walked around reservoirs. We walked through, you know, mm. country parks, whatever. But we'd set aside time, and we always did better work when we were moving. Going back to that proprioceptive yeah. thing, when we were moving and talking things through, we we always came up with outcomes at the end that would allow us to really, really think deeply. Mm. And I mean, we never noticed what was going on around us because we got so engrossed in the conversations yeah. that we're doing. You know, and I, that's not always practical for for busy mm. head teachers. I'm not saying I'm not saying that is. I'm just saying what worked for me. Um, so the framework is 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 designed. There's there's, there's an overarching um, there's an overarching um, set of principles split into six areas, and essentially it's there to say look these are the things you need to do um, to think about. And the format of the book is such that what I've done is explain my journey, and then each of the areas I've um, each of the uh, six areas I've dedicated a chapter to, and each of the bullet points that are contained in the framework I've explained mm. why they're important, and I've given examples of where you'll find the evidence or or just give a distillation of what mm. the evidence base is, um, because I think that's really, really important. Why would uh, you know? I'm working at the moment on um, on making making that available electronically, actually, so you can just click on the links because lots of they, it's not very good when you've got complex links in there, you know, written down sort of thing, you know. So it makes it easier, um, easier, easier to follow. So what happens on a, on an annual basis? We do surveys of our pupils, our parents, and our staff. And this year we're doing a more simplified one for support staff who may not have um, as as detailed insight into you know into some of the um, some of the more um, teaching learning based mm. based things. Um, 
Um, and year on year, you can. The idea is uh, the we, we asked uh, um, um, everybody to to grade things on a five point scale, mm. and the things that score lowest are what we would say that you may want to give consideration to. It may give you a theme or a broad theme for what you might want to consider mm. for your school improvement journey. We don't do that in isolation. We also have a quality assurance audit, but from a, from an Ofsted trained person who comes in around at the same time that we're doing it. So we look at both sources of evidence: the the surveys from from all of our staff the surveys from our pupils yeah. and the surveys from our parents and then we need to look at them and say well actually are they all saying the same thing and then I've designed a separate one for senior leadership teams who can then regulate the importance of mm. of, of what they're doing because um, and, and what's good about that is sometimes some of these are things are, are not are not real their perceptions and therefore mm. they can be straightened out at, yeah. you know, amongst staff for example you, you might think well actually maybe we haven't articulated that well enough and what that allows us to take an overview of is actually are the uh, do the staff have have you know are the mm. staff this the, the 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 leadership team are they seeing the same things that the staff are, are telling us is it reality is it is it is it you know so it's 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 more about the questions mm. that, it, that it asks that that generates Again, more deep thinking for people to go yeah. away and go. You know, um, this is this is um, this might be what we want to consider. The other thing, of course, is that over time um, it increases consistency. And 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 the the, the post the, the sort of code to it all is I, I talk about the idea of this rising tide lifts all boats. So if we're working on these principles over time, mm. actually different things will fall to the bottom each time. Yeah. So actually, over you know, if you're doing this, you know, over three years, you, a you can compare your data. So your highest scoring stuff, you can mm. say when you're doing your self-evaluation form and, and speaking to Ofsted, you say, well, actually, and if they say, well, how do you know that children feel safe and secure, you know, or whatever it might yeah. be, or how do you know that they, you know, they've got a good sense of belonging, blah, blah, blah. You say, well, actually, we know because 88% of our parents told us this, 88%, you know, yeah. they're not the same questions for stuff and people, but no. broadly, broad themes are the same, you know. Um, you know, we asked the school, is you know, does the school deal effectively with bullying? But, well, <laughs> let's also ask the children, let's ask the parents, mm. because that will that that will give us uh, things. So it's about it's about opening up lines of inquiry, but quite crucially, it's not about using it to be staff with. No. That's, you know, and, and it's not about, what we what we have to do is accept what, what, what the situation is, the situation mm. is. All we can do is actually be solution focused and work with what we've got to improve it, yeah. you know. Um, now that sometimes is difficult mm. for leaders, and it's difficult for leaders um, who 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 don't, you know, who may fear that they're not getting that level of support, mm. you know. So that psychological safety to ask space uh, to to ask yeah. questions and 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 not feel like like you're going to be punished when the answers come is is crucial in the process, you know. Um, I also run training courses um, that train leaders on how to use the framework, mm -hmm. which is helpful. Again, difficult in, in, uh, in the uh, time constraints that sometimes happen. Mm. I'm working at the moment to try and develop an apprenticeship levy course that would actually allow schools and, and, and more importantly trusts actually mm -hmm. um, to, to have groups of schools because the idea is if you've got a group of schools that are all using the same approach you get greater consistency and what we discovered is that all schools have got strengths so we want all schools to be um, to be uh, uh, Givers and receivers mm. of support to each other. So even if the schools, you know, less one school's less successful than the other, they will invariably be doing things really well that the other school may not be. And that's really important for that continuous improvement mm. journey. We need to say, well, actually, maybe we go and have a little look to what's going on here. Imagine yeah. how powerful that is for for the for the people in that school to say, well, actually. You know, we're coming to look at you mm. and they think well you're from the really good school that's doing really good stuff and go yeah but you're doing this really really well mm. and actually what can we help mm. what can we help with you with so it becomes very much a collaborative uh, process as long as the conditions are in place for that to happen 
And, and is that one of the things that you would say is the main difference around working at a trust level rather than an individual school? Well, I think, I think yeah, well, that's... <laughs> when I was running the, f the, the, the um, five schools, you know, we didn't actually have the framework. We had the same principles. And, we, you know, we put the therapeutic teams in and all the rest of it. What this has allowed us to do is, is make everybody a lot clearer. Mm. And that clarity is, is really, really important because it, it, it acts as a, as a rallying point. Mm. Um, and um, we, use, uh, we use Andy Book's Leadership Matters materials for training leaders. So we get consistent language mm. around leadership. We now have consistent language around our school improvement stuff mm. and, and what we might need to be thinking about doing so we can share those, those things. And what happens in an individual school very often, and certainly that's what I did when, when you know, until we started doing the survey stuff, we were just putting our finger in the air, yeah. really. You know, we were thinking, you know, well, obviously it'd be dictated by your results yeah. and whatever else, but I mean, you know, if I think that having having a framework approach, mm. again, um, means that, that when leaders change, your direction yeah. of travel doesn't as well. You know, so so I think there's there's a lot to be, to, to be said for that because it's about building capacity. Mm. And if somebody's been trained in the process and say a senior leader in school A leaves, then actually you've got already, what we like to do is train our staff mm. well enough so that we can then give them opportunities, but because they know the framework, yeah. our capacity is already there. So we go, actually now you can go and have mm. an opportunity to lead this school. And that's one of the key points about this is prioritizing CPD and professional development. So we've, we've, never, we've never forfeited any of our apprenticeship levy. We've, mm. got, we've got 33 staff currently working from level two up to masters. Um, degree level you yeah. know all around that and I say that's why I'm interested in getting a framework funded um, um, course available to um, to trusts and schools because that way it doesn't cost schools to learn yeah. about it you know um, and and actually at the moment the the, the the apprenticeship levy isn't really easy to use with for teaching and learning no. purposes put that emphasis on, on yeah. professional development put it on those those whole school thinking these are the areas of the framework get make sure your policies are, are, are consistent because what we're trying to do is create structure routine and consistency and one of the key elements of that because once we get structure mm. routine and consistency that makes schools predictable and when schools are predictable it reduces anxiety levels in, in children very often in children we're not aware or anxious yeah. so we need to do a lot of work around key transitional times and, and that impacts on how children move around buildings it also impacts on actually how you might move from one activity into a in a classroom mm. to another and that's another way that you need to be thinking about your, your, your sort of how to differentiate tasks it's, it's about having yeah. the scaffold there and the rate at which you take it down you know um, not starting children at different points you know so I think the framework can help us think around yeah. all of those things um, which is again the um, we, we 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 say that looking at uh, we need to look at behaviour as a potential mm. manifestation of unmet need, um, and if you've got um, um, if you start reframing, for example, attention-seeking behaviour, and if I hear that word in schools, I, I tend to tend to scream a little bit. Oh, they're, they're attention-seeking. Mm. Um, if you reframe that as being attachment-seeking, that changes the way that you're, yeah. you're you're looking at that 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 whole issue. That might be it might be an unmet um, you know uh, you know medical needs such as sensory sensory needs or speech and language um, it might be an unmet social care need mm. it might be you know who knows what it is and so we we, we also um talk a lot about taking that making the time and the space to reflect i always describe the children that i work with in in the SEMH schools as a bit like the old rhubarb and custard cartoons they have ill-defined edges they've got wobbly mm. edges um, because they don't they don't they don't know where their their edges are um and so therefore they don't know how to be still they don't know what a moment of stillness looks like because they're living in chaos and disorder. And if we don't create those moments and those opportunities in schools, then then where do children get them? If mm. we don't give them opportunities to reflect and, and think and, and, and even to, for them to think about 
thinking and think about learning um, that's 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 really important um, so so with with the behavior stuff I think it's really important um, if, if we want to truly build that sense of belonging um, and we know that social and emotional skills that, that we can't stand at the top of, a, of, of the whole show and you oh, you should be up here we've got to actually put a ladder down yeah. to those children who lack those skills by explicitly teaching them and that means we might need that may, may need special, you know, smaller group interventions or individual interventions to teach those mm. skills because that's what's going to un unlock the, um, the, the academic potential um, and um, when we when we start doing that sort of stuff, we can really we can really catalyze change. But we can't do that unless we are modeling compassion, empathy, love, and, and building that sense of belonging. And if we solely look on punitive ways of, of, of behavior measures, A, there's no mm. evidence that supports its use. If we're not, not modeling that for pupils, where are they seeing it? Mm. If the only thing we do is punish them, then actually we're failing them. You know, and that is not the same as saying there are no consequences. Your consequences have to be absolutely mm. clear and, and, and your boundaries have to be clear. And in fact, the, the boundaries are really, really important. So, so for, um, for, uh, for children in the SMH world, very often they test the boundaries just to check they were still there because that's what kept them feeling yeah. safe. And, and that's what it boils down to. When we make schools uh, consistent, uh, uh, where we have um, structure, routine and consistency, it reduces the stress level, it reduces anxiety, and children feel safe in mm. the school. Um, and, and interestingly, we, we, we use a lot of Doug Lemov's um, work and um, he tweeted something recently, which uh, which is in the book, and I, I thought this was brilliant. He said that his, his, the checking for understanding technique that he uses, mm. that, that, that again links with Rosenshine's research as well. He said, um, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, it's, it's only recently that I've realised that's one of the most powerful things for building relationships in schools. And I talk about that all the time when I visit schools. How powerful is that for, for, for creating that sense of belonging when children are going into schools knowing that their teachers won't let them fail because they're going to, in a low stakes mm. way, they're going to check that they understand before they move on yeah. you know and and I, I i just i love that idea mm. you know because that's really really powerful that's that's about going you know rather than a child sit there going oh my god don't ask me don't ask mm. me i don't know this i don't know this if we're checking it checking where everybody is with that with that low mm. uh, low stakes um um uh, testing then actually we can actually tailor what we need to do to support the children yeah. um, and and be more targeted with what we're trying to do Fantastic. And one of the, the reasons you, you sort of give for, for, for writing the book is to share some of the experiences that you've had along the way to stop people making the same yeah. mistakes. <laughs> uh, yeah, you... because I, you know, I, you know, I was making it up and I got, I got lots of it wrong. Yeah. I got lots of it wrong. You what, know. What, is, what is one particular example that you could share? Of oh, something dear you me. Wish you okay, just, just something really, really, really small. Um, you know, um, um, you know. When we started off, we, we, we did relaxation sessions after lunch, and now I realised that what we were doing was we were also um, um, putting a real clear demarcation line to, to signal a transitional mm -hmm. period, which I hadn't quite worked out at that point, but that transition was it made it predictable, so, so the children uh, would come in, and we'd do ref uh, uh, we called it relaxation, and, and then we'd listen to some sort of... Um, you know, relaxing music, and we might we might have some sort of um, you know I suppose you'd call it mindfulness. Now we'd have some sort of mindfulness thing going on, and um, and I used to try and get the children to close their eyes. That's a really small thing, but if you've, you know, if you've if you've grown up, um, you know, in chaos and disorder, yeah. and become hyper uh, hyper vigilant and always on edge as a result because you don't, you know bad things happen mm. to you routinely. You're not going to sit in a room full of people and close your eyes yeah. because 
that are like you know yeah. straight away I mean so that's a really really small example you know we we, 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 we had this um, structure one of the things that we, that we, we implemented in the keys uh, the, the schools were our five keys and our five keys outlined um, exactly what it was mm-hmm. that we did and it was it was an attempt to hardwire better behaviours uh, I don't mean behaviour per se but I mean learning behaviour and social behaviour into our children so we, we had them again five areas um, and we'd, uh, we had things like you know a good example of this is um, don't make yourself feel good at the expense of others that was a beauty mm-hmm. we use that all the time and deal with acorns before they grow into oak trees so it gave us almost a script that we could follow so at times when the children were anxious they'd hear words that were familiar to them and it would help bring them down but it also gave them the vocabulary to express themselves and now looking back we were helping them to develop that those emotional skills but what what i noticed was very often uh, you know somebody had finished their you know they'd had a they'd done well in the morning and again I look back on this with shame but if there was if there was a little bit of putting you know they could mm. if they'd eaten everything and they'd had a good morning that was, you know somebody would would, would would be able to go and oh you've got a little bit of spare that great you finished it in a great didn't think anything of it um and then uh, invariably something would you know sometimes child would, would would say like you know well two of them would be finished at the same they say it's all right you you have it and and the child would say right oh, it's, it's okay you have yeah. it. they they get instant validation by by being praised by the adults around so oh well done that was a really 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 good thing but then either later on that or maybe even the next day or two days later there'd be an altercation between the two children because actually that kid wanted that cake so badly and that that instant bit of praise wasn't enough to, to, for them to get over handing a bit of cake that they really wanted you know? and I was like and when I eventually worked it out it was like you know sometimes when the penny drops and you just go how did I not see that like you know so we, we created this this um, and um, this key which said you know don't make yourself feel good at the expense of others you know so what we would notice was that if somebody else was struggling that might be the, the very time that a, that a child would come say look do you like my work isn't my work good so it's a bit like being on a seesaw we use that analogy so they hammer the other child into the ground by pushing themselves into you know up upon the seesaw you know and um, so that was something that was really key to our whole school approach and, and through time it was a bit like Chinese water torture or this letters on a stick of rock it became the ethos and the, and the values that drove our school and and it became hardwired into all our children so when we did our reflections they could use that language to explain if they'd had a good day or if they hadn't had a good day when they were thinking about it so we did that reflection at the end of at the end of every day with the pupil Pupils, mm. But then after that, we also had reflection sessions for the staff. Mm. So if we've had difficult things going on, we would pull it apart. Yeah. We had briefings in the morning so that we were always as prepared as we could mm. be for any changes that happened for for for, uh, for the for the children around us. Um, Fantastic stuff. I mean, uh, we we clearly could talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I certainly could <laughs> for a really uh, long time. But thank you. That it's, it's a really eye-opening way of of, of thinking about um, behaviour in 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 special provision, but also um, you know across mainstream and and across trust. So 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 much to cover um, there. Are there any any just final words of advice or, or messages you'd like to share about your work? I think or your I book? think um, yeah, um, the books. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter, and it's, I'm not difficult to find. It's at Cattle Lynch, um, but I'm you know I'm, I'm a big believer in in collaborative working and, and reaching out and supporting others. One thing I would encourage people to do is make time for that reflection. You know, um, but also I'd encourage I'd encourage teachers an awful lot of what teachers can do because. Well, um, um, 
can have a massive impact, even if you're doing it at a class mm. level. It's obviously more effective to do it at a school level, but a lot of the ideas in here are about how you create structure, how you remove distractions from walls and, and, and all of that sort of thing. So there's quite a lot of lessons there. And, and I think teachers in, uh, and, 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 and people working in schools feel underqualified to talk about mental health. Uh, but actually, um, that's because they build it up to be something that's really, really, you know, that, that's big and scary mm. and what have you. Um, an awful lot of it's really simple. It's about being present for children, yeah. you know, making sure that they're clear about what they've got to do. It's about, you know, um, uh, supporting them in the right way. There's lots of ideas in that. It, you know, I'm more than happy to, to talk with people and to, to reach out with organisations because, as I say, I think this, this work is really important. And if we're not thinking in these terms, we're not going to be able to drive the changes that, that, that the curriculum now demands of children. We're not going to get them to the spaces we need to be. We need we need schools where, where it's as important for the year three teachers to, to look at their, the impact and, and, and how well they've done. And primary schools are a, a great example of like, you know, most people think this such results of the year 16. <laughs> it's mm. their responsibility. Actually, everybody nowadays, everybody's got to play yeah. their part because, uh, you know, those children who fall behind at the age of 11, it makes accessing the key stage three curriculum mm. more difficult, which means that the gap gets wider by the time they get, and then they, they don't recover. And that's life limiting we need to pull together as a profession we need to look back on 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 the evidence of what works and um you know it, it doesn't work for everybody we need to make make allowances but we need to start off by understanding our context and to understand our context we need to speak to the people yeah. that we serve and i think that the, that's the thing that i would i would ultimately say we are here to serve the communities mm. um that, that that we're working with and um and the best way to do it is by involving them in our in our improvement processes well, thank you so much uh, for that. So much uh, for listeners uh, to think about. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. Mm-hmm.